And these are a people now who are delivered from bondage. They're brought out of Egypt and all its slavery and its misery. They're now brought into, well, not quite yet in the promised land. They're, they're in the wilderness. They're making their journey to the promised land, and they're given the law to keep because they're free. Because they're free. So the law was never given to redeem, to save, to make them right with God. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak as we bring you the message of the Bible. We're turning today to Exodus, God's people being brought out of Egypt. And uh, firstly, we're coming to our Bible reading on Ephesians chapter 2. The concrete fact in God's plan for our salvation is that it's a work with a definite purpose. When there is no purpose to any work, it is useless. A tall building in the middle of a wilderness may be grand and luxurious, but if it houses no one, nor serves no business venture of anything, but it lies waste in the howling winds, it is of no use. Only a madman would build such a lavish building in an out-of-the-way place. When God purposed to save men, he knew what he was doing. He was dealing in mercy. He was bringing sinners into the refuge of Christ as Savior, and he had an even higher purpose. Listen for it as I read these first seven verses in Ephesians chapter 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Did you get that? Listen for it in the verse 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ. God is going to take the glory for this plan, and he's going to get that glory through all eternity. That in order that in the ages, the eons that is eternity, when this world is done, when this universe has melted into a puddle, God will demonstrate the exceeding riches of his grace. That's what it's all about. On display will be sinners of all kinds who have been rescued from the pit of sin. God will have a restoration shop for sinners. There may be a before and after picture of what a wretched sinner looks like before he is brought into the glory and then the final state remade in the image of the Lord when conformed to the image of God's Son. I know a few people who have a hobby out of remodeling old cars. The 1957 Chevy seems to be a favorite for their passion of cars. They spend months and thousands of dollars buying parts and hammering out dinges so that the body is restored to its first appearance. And men can make a business out of it and make that great pleasure in showing off their finest car. It is their pride and joy. 
Well, God is going to do that with us. Remember to note that we as Christians are the subject of restoration. We have been changed when we were born again or regenerated. We are being changed more and more in our sanctification, and we shall yet be changed in our glorification. God will put us on display and say, Here is what my grace has accomplished. These sinners paid not a farthing to be saved and sanctified. I will cover all the costs. And what a cost it was. It took the precious blood of Jesus to redeem our souls. There was never a recovery job quite like this. May the Lord minister to your heart today as we turn now to Exodus 20, Out of Bondage is the message. We're coming to Exodus and we're going to look at uh, these few verses that are actually before the Ten Commandments. You probably thought you were going to get a ten-part sermon today, uh, a few thoughts on each one of these commandments. But what I wanted to deal with here today is the introduction to the Ten Commandments, where you have God in the mount with Moses, and he spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. There was a martyr called Polycarp. He was one of the early Christian martyrs. And he was exhorted by the enemies of God to blaspheme Christ. This was the great challenge that he would deny his faith, deny his Lord, and that he would blaspheme his own Lord and Savior. And his reply to that challenge was, Four score years have I served Christ, and have ever found him a good master. How then can I blaspheme my Lord and Savior? And when he came to the stake, at which he was to be burned, he desired to stand untied. No ropes around him, no chains to hold him fast. He asked, let me alone, for he that gave me strength to come to die will give me patience to undergo the fire without your tying. I speak of that incident because that is the attitude of the born-again Christian to the law of God. I don't need ropes, I don't need chains, and I don't need to be driven to keep the law of God, because God's law is my friend, and my loyalty to the Lord is first and foremost. Now, a definition of keeping the commandments is found for us in John's Gospel, chapter 15. I want you to go to that passage because I believe it gives a New Testament uh, color, fulfillment, setting to the, the Old Testament commands that you're given there. So, let's go to John 15 and to verse 7, where the Lord says, "'If ye abide in me in my words,' abide in you. So, this is New Testament Christianity, abiding in the words of the Lord. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, 
so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Now, you will see here that all of this is encouraging, and it is positive. You'll see verse 5, the whole motivation is to be fruitful. The Lord wants us to be fruitful Christians. If you want to be a fruitful Christian, you will abide in his words. The law of the Lord will have a very special place in your life because you want to be fruitful. Verse 7, if you want your prayers to be answered, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will. If we are renegade and rebellious and turn away from God and all our ways, and then we come asking, we cannot expect that we will have our prayers answered. Then in verse 11, you'll notice that this is the way to have your fullness of joy. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And you know, and I know, that when you live disobediently to God, the first thing that you lose is your joy. You lose the blessedness in your own soul, because your heart and your conscience tells you that you have grieved God, and you have disobeyed Him. Verse 14, uh, to have the friendship of Christ. It says, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now, obviously, a sermon could be preached in all of this, failing to abide in Christ and all that it means and all that it brings to the Christian. And, of course, this becomes very practical Christianity. Uh, we are a saved people. We're a redeemed people. But we've got to walk the walk. And we are told here, if ye keep, if ye love me, Keep my commandments. So you will see that this is a matter of love. And we are to love the Lord our God. And the question now is, do I love the Lord? And do I love him enough to keep his commandments? We as Christians do show our love to God by obeying him, by doing the things that please him. A child cannot say to his father or mother, I love you, and then do the very opposite to what they're asked to do uh, in the home or in their own lives. And so this is the big question. Now, keeping God's law is not the way to repay God. It's not the way to uh, come back and, and say, well, now you've done so much for me, I'm going to do this as a repayment. That's never the situation, but rather uh, we come out of thankfulness to the cross work. And the cross and the suffering of the Lord Jesus becomes the motivation for our new obedience. And we rejoice in his cleansing, keeping power, and we now express our love by saying, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. And if you look at verse 13 of John 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so we see here that this abiding in Christ, abiding in his word, keeping the commandments of the Lord, 
The motivation is because Christ has died for us, and he has shed his blood for us. Now, we're going to go back to Exodus 20, and we're going to look at verse 2. And you're going to see that what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples is, in effect, what God is saying here uh, to the children of Israel through Moses. I am the Lord thy God, which have bought, brought thee out of the, the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So, what is God saying? I want you to keep my law because you're a free people. And these are a people now who are delivered from bondage. They're brought out of Egypt and all its slavery and its misery. They're now brought into, well, not quite yet in the promised land. They're, they're in the wilderness. They're making their journey to the promised land, and they're given the law to keep because they're free, because they're free. So, the law was never given to redeem, to save, to make them right with God, but it was their mandate by which they would walk with God. And he says to them, I am the Lord thy God. It's already done. We're, we're in fellowship. I am the Lord thy God. And he was given this to his own people that they would walk with him and serve him. They were his by covenant they were his by choice. God chose these people. These people did not choose God. God chose Israel. He set his heart upon them. He brought them out of bondage. He delivered them through the Red Sea and set them on their way to the promised land. These were people chosen by God, and of course, they were his by redemption. And that picture of redemption, of course, is their deliverance out of Egypt into freedom. And you could add into that the Passover night when the blood of the Lamb was put upon the doorpost. And all of that is a picture of their redemption. They were God's people trusting in the blood, and they were a blood-marked people. And so are you and I. We are a people blood-bought. That's our hope of heaven the blood of the cross, the blood of Christ. And that old Passover lamb represented the death of Christ. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus. We are a people redeemed, but we are now going to heed his commandments because we love him, and we thank him, and we praise him with all our hearts. And we are his by a new dependency, uh, just as Israel was totally dependent on the Lord in that wilderness, the manna every day, and the water of the rock, all of those things were their dependency on God. Now that we're Christians, now that we are believers in the Lord Jesus, we are a dependent people. And every day we're depending on new grace, new strength, new help from heaven, new supplies of the Spirit to our hearts. And we want to walk in the way that we might enjoy the ongoing blessing of the Lord in our souls. Now, we desire what God desires. I would like to think that you can agree with that, that what, what God wants, you want. We pray that prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that it be, is done in our own hearts. 
And of course, we desire what he desires. And this becomes a glorious liberty, a wonderful liberty to the Christian uh, that I'm walking in God's will and in God's way. Now, the first thing I want us to look at today, and I have five points on this, and and really this is the, the bulk of the message here today, that our position in Christ, and I'm speaking to you now as one who's converted, saved, you are trusting in the cross work of the Lord Jesus for your redemption. And if you're not, and you're not saved, and you're not yet redeemed by the blood, then the law to you only speaks of your distance from God and your failure to know God. This word is to a redeemed people. And our position in Christ gives us the principle of obedience to God's will. Or as Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And this liberty leads to living for God. And I want us to see this in five ways. Firstly, there will be the rule of obedience. It's a rule. It's not arbitrary. It's not something, well, that's for you, but it's not for me. It's not subjective. Well, the Spirit of God never spoke to me about that matter. The Spirit of God never troubled my conscience on that. No, God has given a rule, a law that we are to keep, and it is not according uh, to the rule of God, then it's mere man-made. But God has given us a rule. And we are not called to worship God by our own imagination, but according to the rule of His own Word. And He requires these things of us, that we may walk with Him and serve Him. God has no unruly children in His house. God has no unruly children in his house. They abide by the rule. And the rules of God's order are to be kept. And we have many examples of that. Samuel declared that it is better to obey than to sacrifice. And if your worship is all feelings, all emotions, if it's all based on on the sense of the moment and some higher level of meditation, or you might call it levitation, and you're getting into this this excited state of mind, and that's your worship. But your walk is no different from the world, no different from the ungodly. Then, as Jesus said, that if you want your prayers answered, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. There has to be that rule. Now, I I ask you, has your faith in Christ brought you into this rule of obedience? I'm not talking about how to get saved here, not talking how to get right with God from being a sinner to be a Christian, but I'm asking you step two. Since you became a Christian, since you were born again, and you were brought into the family of God by grace, by faith, have you understood this new rule of obedience. Now, some of the most fearful words in the Bible, let's turn to Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21. And here, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, 
the Lord is wrapping things up and he's pointing out it's not those that hear the word, but those that do it. And in verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Now, just in case you think that there's any conflict between the, the commandments of the Lord Jesus and the commandments of God the Father, I don't see that. And our Lord Jesus is saying here uh, that unless you are doing the will of the Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And so on. And so this rule of law is for every Christian. And we must walk with God by this rule that he has given us. So not only is it a rule of obedience, but it will be cheerful obedience. This is not a burden. This is not bondage. And I wanted to point that out in Exodus 20, where he says, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage. And some people think that when you preach the Ten Commandments as the rule of life, that you're leading people into some kind of bondage. It's going to, it's going to restrict and confine. It's going to burden people with a burden that becomes unbearable. No, that was never the way. The law was given to God's people that they might be different that they might be in fellowship with God and enjoy wonderful fellowship with him. And he promised, as in Isaiah 1, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. That's the word of the Lord to his own people. Now, you will have people who obey things grudgingly. That's the hypocrite's way. Uh, they do it outwardly, but their heart is not engaged in it. So there is to be this cheerful delight, as the psalmist says, in thy law do I delight day and night. It is a joyful and a happy thing. And just as a son or a daughter in the home, if she is in sync with his or her parents, uh, walking in love and harmony, obedience is not a problem. It's not a burden. It's a joy. And when you see the, the, the smile and the expression of delight that you bring to your mother and father, uh, obedience is a joyful thing, because your heart's desire is to please. And surely that's the state of the, the Christian who has a new heart, no longer in rebellion to God, but walking, living in the joy of fellowship, and any little thing or big thing we can do to please our Heavenly Father, it becomes a great delight to our own souls. It's also a fervent obedience. In Romans 12, it says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, fervent there means boiling, boiling hot, a fervency. We don't drag our feet on the matter. We don't serve this up in a cold, clinical, uh, unhappy way, but rather we seek to do it in delight and with the expression of burning zeal, a burning zeal for the Lord. 
Mr. Nicholson, that Irish Presbyterian minister and evangelist, he said some people's religion is so cold that if it was a bucket of milk carried up the aisle, it would be ice cream before it would get to the pulpit. And he was simply expressing the coldness of some people's worship. It can happen to us, and it ought never to happen. It ought to be rather the, the fervency, the zeal, the longing that we may serve God with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls, because it is an expression of love. We're to love the Lord our God. This is the royal law, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And this is, this is the law that delights us and delights the God whom we serve. So it has this, this very fervency. There was a boy who asked his father, what is the difference between a cherubim and a seraphim? The dad answered, cherubims know all about God. Everything to know about God, a cherubim will know him. But seraphims, they love God perfectly. And the boy said that he would rather be a seraphim and love God with all his heart, even if he didn't know all things. That's our attitude. That's our mindset. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 
58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.